0: Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast brought to you by NAPPAC, the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. I am your host, Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director. Welcome to episode 16, everybody. It is a keeper. Abigail and Adam coming up NAPPAC's exclusive one-on-one interview with the chairman of the FEC, Trey Trainer.
1: You know, Michaela, I'm excited. We are the number one PAC podcast in America. And having the chairman of the FEC on to talk about all things employee-funded PACs. That's a high point for this podcast.
0: I think our listeners are going to be really intrigued by this conversation, especially considering Chairman Trainer is so supportive of employee funded PACs. When you think about it, the FEC's mission is to protect the integrity of America's campaign finance process. And that's what we're trying to do every day here at NAPAC as well. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to sit down and talk with him. All right, enough talk. Let's get this thing going, Adam.
1: The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap the week's NEMP activities, share actionable intelligence, and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Today's episode of the Facts About PACs podcast is brought to you by CISION. Do you need to make up for lost revenue due to the pandemic? CISION's new peer-to-peer module can help. Let Scission show you how it works. Your Cision rep can set up a demo quickly. For the last 11 years in a row, more top 1,000 business, trade association, and member organization packs use Scission to file with the FEC than any other vendor software. Scission is trusted, reliable, and has the best customer support in the industry. If your pack is already using Scission, you get it. If not, consider Scission's pack software for your needs next cycle.
0: Well, I want to thank Cision for sponsoring today's episode of the Facts About PACs podcast and for being such a wonderful partner to NAPAC over the years as one of our member organizations. And without any further ado, I am excited and honored to welcome the Chairman of the Federal Election Commission, Trey Trainer, to the Facts About PACs podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here
0: we know that you have more than 300 people that work at the Federal Election Commission. And really before we get started, we just wanna know how uh, you and the rest of the commissioners are doing, the staff during this pandemic, and really how has the switch to the work from home environment been for you all?
2: Uh, Well, you know, like every organization, we've had our hiccups at the beginning, just getting everybody used to the work requirements are, uh, being in a work from home environment. We're right now just in phase one of reopening Commission. Uh, So basically, we have people in just checking the mail and doing some some basic things and it and that's really only about three or four people. So, but we've been able to continue to do our work. When we did have a quorum, we were able to conduct a couple of executive sessions via Zoom. And then we were also able to conduct our one public hearing that we had that way. So everybody's transitioned nicely. Like all of us, we had to learn how to use the technology at first, but we've gotten through it. Everybody seems to be doing well. I haven't heard of any cases of employees with COVID or anything like that that have come to my attention. So we're blessed in in, in that sense.
0: Well that's nice to hear. I'm glad to hear that. So you were nominated to serve on the FEC by President Trump, I believe, back in September of
2: 2017. Yes.
0: <laughs> so what is it like to step into the position in the middle of this 2020 election cycle, but also as a new commissioner?
2: I was nominated in 2017. I had just come off of a stint with uh, working at the Department of Defense uh, with Secretary Mattis, and then got nominated for this position. And it was pretty clear once the nomination started moving, it was clear that I was going to become chairman. So I worked very closely with Commissioner Hunter, Caroline Hunter, to kind of get a feel for what items we would be able to address as soon as I got there. So her staff did a really good job of putting together a kind of a priorities list for for me. I had a good opportunity to meet with her and see what had been accomplished, things that were a priority that needed to be accomplished. Just like everybody else, I was surprised that she was leaving, but I think because of the priority items that she had put in place, we were able to, you know, I think we have probably 150 certified votes came out of the commission during that time that we had a quorum. So of the 300 or so matters to be able to get through a third of them, I'm pretty excited about that.
0: So really thinking through about really what are your top goals for the FEC as chairman?
2: My top goal for the commission in general is to make participation in the election process as easy and seamless for the American people and those in the regulated community as possible. I think we all benefit from uh, knowing what the rules of the road are and for the rules of the road to be applied fairly. I believe very strongly in the First Amendment, and the courts have allowed Congress to regulate in this area as far as campaign finance is concerned. So obviously, we're going to uphold the statute. Uh, but I also don't want the statute to be an impediment for people participating in the process. One of the cases that we were able to decide, we had a quorum, there was a concerning statement made by the respondent in the case, and that was. That he was concerned and wasn't going to participate in the political process anymore because of all that he had to go through with a complaint being filed against him. and this is a person who spent roughly six or seven thousand dollars of his own money to buy some Facebook ads and support of candidates. And, you know, was a, a novice to the political process and so really just didn't understand that there are other requirements out there that you have to comply with. And so got tangled up in complaint filed at the commission and had a long drawn out process that just really burned him on participating in politics. And, and I think that's unfortunate. And so, you know, as an overarching goal, I'd like to make it easier for people to understand what the law is, what they have to do to comply so that they won't get discouraged in participating in the political process.
0: There's so much misunderstanding and misinformation out there around corporate tax. And Absolutely. I spend so much of my time just trying to distinguish us between other forms of engagement, but that we are, you know, really the most transparent way for our employees and member companies to engage in the process. So I understand, Absolutely. I understand that desire to want to try to, <laughs> and that's truly that's really why we have the facts about PACS is to try to get out there right. and, and explain the
2: misconceptions. I really appreciate that you'll do that. I mean, it's it's fantastic to have as many people parroting that as possible. Our best goal towards compliance is through education about the system and about the statutes and about the regs. The FEC tries to do that with the you know with the webinars that they have, with when they were able to travel, the conferences that they put on, uh, those type of things. And those things need to increase. I mean, the the more we can make people aware of the process and and the regulations, the better off we will be.
0: So I would imagine not having a quorum is probably one of your biggest challenges uh, looking ahead. It but is. It are there is. other challenges that you're facing?
2: Quorum is really the biggest challenge that we have right now. Um, and, and I'll tell you where, for, for me, the biggest challenge is not so much that we can't handle complaints that are filed with the commission. It's more so that we can't work closely with the regulated community to answer questions that they may have in the advisory opinion process. When I was in private practice, practicing uh, campaign finance and election law, you know, my my big goal was always to have regulation avoidance issues for my clients. So we would periodically go to the regulatory body, whether it was the FEC or, or state-level agency, and say, hey, can we do this? Is it, something, is it something that's legal? Or are there ways that we can work around what the statute says to make sure that we're in compliance? So not having the ability to do uh, advisory opinions for me is is really the biggest challenge that we have right now. I'm not so much concerned about the complaint process, just because of the length of time that it takes us to settle complaints anyways if a campaign finance violation occurs during the 2020 election cycle, it'll get filed with us and it'll be brought through the normal process, you know, but that process is 18 months, two years in most cases. So the election's uh, long since passed, but the commission's still going to be doing their job while we're there. I mean, you'll still see requests for additional information come through all of the various committees. If in the analysis, they see things that, that don't look right, those will more information will be requested. And obviously, if we see criminal activity in the reports, you know, we still have the ability to make criminal referrals out. So my big concern for the 2020 election is not being able to work closely with the regulated community to give advice more so than being able to be the the hammer coming down on everybody.
0: Do you have a sense when you might have a new commissioner that will be joining you?
2: Well, I, I know that Alan Dickerson's been nominated by the president to, to fill the slot. I know it hadn't been forwarded over to the Senate last I had checked. I don't really have a sense of, of when that might happen. Clearly, uh, dealing with the COVID response and uh, things like that are, are much more important for uh, the Senate than, than working on the Federal Elections Commission. So whatever their time frame is, we'll, we'll work within it and we'll keep doing what we can do while we can
0: the business pack community has always had a great working relationship with contacts at the FEC. Do you have any advice or anything that you can share with us that we can be doing to help you during this time without a quorum?
2: The biggest thing probably for, for your community is the concern over How separate segregated funds are viewed by the public, your employees to your various corporate political action committees are are voluntary contributions that are made. And that oftentimes gets confused with kind of mandatory union dues that go to support candidates where a union member may not necessarily support that idea. So... You know, from from the standpoint of, of working with business PACs that have a separate segregated fund, the more you can get out there and do what you're doing with facts about PACs and talking about that issue, the better off we'll be for people to understand those differences. And I, and it's a it's a it's a nuanced difference, very hard for the general public to understand, but it's a critical one because we want to make sure that everybody has a voice in the process, and especially for members of The PACs that you deal with, where the employees are voluntarily making a choice to participate. I mean, they're clearly exercising a First Amendment right that they have to both better their work environment, to help their companies do better, to get better regulations, uh, those type of things. And from what I've seen, most business PACs are, in a lot of ways, nonpartisan. I mean, they'll play both sides of the aisle because they're trying to get to the best regulatory or legislative outcome not necessarily an ideological outcome of a particular candidate.
0: Yeah, that's been one of our biggest challenges is explaining we aren't just one particular party, we're certainly bipartisan, and we've seen this growing no pack pledge by candidates who, you know, I know a polls well in their districts most likely. Sure. sure. That has really been a difficult challenge for us to overcome because the connotation is, is that we're bad and we're dirty, and so having to overcome that to say, this is every penny in, every penny out, just like the campaigns have to report, we do too. Right. We don't want to alienate those constituents across the country, millions of them, who choose to participate in the political process this way.
2: Sure. And the thing is, is there are a lot of states like Texas has unlimited contributions. And so when you talk about a state political action committee in Texas, where I'm from, people think of those PACs giving to state level candidates. Those are large amounts of money and, and can have the appearance of influencing the election. But at the federal level, where you have limits on what the PACs can give to the candidates... You know, that's a critical element that the public needs to understand that if a PAC is fully supporting a candidate, it's a very limited amount of money, especially considering how much media costs these days and how much these campaigns are starting to run. These campaigns are running into the millions of dollars now these days. When you look at some of the media markets that people are participating in, the amount of advertising that has to go into Facebook and has to go into the various social media platforms, still have traditional radio, newspaper, those type of things. So you've got a growing element of where expenditures need to happen. And, you know, the public still sees these political action committees as something negative, and in some ways can even be harming their own candidate by being supportive of that because the candidates, uh, you know, need all the resources that they can get.
0: Have you put any thought into the future of PACs given this anti-PAC rhetoric and the misconceptions and myths out there?
2: Well, you know, the the biggest thing that I see is the growth of the of the super PACs, where there's just where there's no coordination whatsoever with the candidates, and that inability to communicate uh, with candidates has has really I, I I think if there's one thing that's turned people off from PACs, it's the growth of super PACs and the inability to communicate with candidates, because what you see in these races is you see three or four different races being run at the same time for one position. You've got a Republican, you've got a Democrat, and then you have you know, three or four independent expenditure type activities from super PACs happening on a particular issue. And that's really where I think the, the public gets confused because there's not that level of understanding. They just see another set of ads coming out and it gets attributed to one candidate or the other in some cases. And so it, it just muddies the water even more.
0: Yeah, that's been one of our biggest challenges. And even when we speak with candidates about why they took the no pack pledge, they oftentimes think of us as super PACs. And, and right, exactly. You can see as we start to talk about the differences, almost in some cases, not a fear, but just when they realize that it's, you know, hardworking everyday Americans who are part of these companies that are giving not a lot of money to participate.
2: No, no. I mean, if you look at if you look at some of these separate segregated funds that we have, I mean, it's people given you know ten dollars a paycheck. Right. Uh, you know, or maybe even $10 a month that they're putting in. But, you know, one, it empowers them. It makes them feel like they're part of the process. And again, it's advocating for issues that they're concerned with. And I think they have every right to do that. You know, PACs are a good part of our statutory scheme. And one that I hope to see continued. I hope we don't see them fall by the wayside. At the end of the day, they're a critical voice going on in these elections
0: we actually couldn't agree more. And, you know, NAPAC is the only trade association that can lobby on behalf of the business PAC community. And we will be out there fighting to ensure that we can continue going forward. Thank you so much for your time today and joining us on Absolutely. the fact about PACs. We wish you all the best sure. as chairman this year. And thank you to working with you in the coming months.
2: Thank you so much. Y'all take care.
0: Just incredibly encouraging words from the chairman of the Federal Election Commission. Uh, clearly, providing guidance to everyone in the community is paramount for him. Participation in the political process is a priority, as it is for NAPPAC. Uh, our missions are aligned, and it was an honor to have him on our show. So I want to thank Chairman Trainer again for his time and outreach to all of us in the PAC community. As ever, we want everybody to know the facts about PACs. Until next week, stay safe, stay engaged, and keep moving forward.